Wistful Thinking is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For more podcasts about movies and nostalgia, visit cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome to Wistful Thinking, a podcast where, I don't know, should I, should we continue to try and describe what this podcast is as it continues to evolve, or should we just give up on that? Oh, do you think it's different than it used to be? I think it's still the yeah. same podcast. It's definitely still the same podcast. We're a bit more open concept, I think, though. Or at least I would like to be a little more open concept. Well, do you want to make up a new thing? Yeah, eventually. But not but right now. Not right now. In the meantime, I'm Kara Geller-Regan. With me, as always, is my co-host, Jordan Poland-Clark. Hello. And coming at you with another couple of firsts. Last episode was the first time that we recorded looking at each other in our faces in person. This time, first time we're recording during the day, and... First time we're recording across international boundaries. Yes, it is 3.16pm and I am in Canada. <laughs> it is also 3.16pm and I am in New York. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel weird doing this this early in the day. Yeah. So if we feel, sound confused, that's why. I have a feeling I'll be, like, less confused than I am at nighttime, though. Oh, I'll be more Um, confused and, like, less focused because also all my surroundings are different now. mm -hmm. Like, usually I'm sitting in, like, my very cozy leather chair, and now I'm just sitting at a desk. Yeah. I actually usually record in the bedroom, and here I am out in the living room on the couch because it's fucking hot. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So, why, tell us, why are you in Canada? Um, because I saved up a bunch of money for a couple of years so that I could not work and hang out for two months. <laughs> Which is amazing. Yeah. Where are you hanging out? Um, well, so far, mostly just around my apartment because it's only been a day and a half. And I'm trying to get my bearings, and today I'm going to venture out into the city to see a circus show. Uh, yeah. I don't know. That's exciting. I don't think you said it, but you're in Montreal. I'm in Montreal. Which is such a beautiful city, and I am very jealous that you get to be fun employed there for a couple months. Well, oh yeah, fun employed. That's what people call this, isn't it? Yeah. I forgot that that was a thing. (laughs) (laughs) I used to have to be fun employed, like, not by choice, because I worked on a TV show. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, this is different than that. Yeah, it's more purposeful. I hope. I don't know. It really hasn't been so far. (laughs) Yeah. Well, if you run out of things to do, definitely visit the botanical gardens. They I can't are wait to go there. And they have a, um, a planetarium there, which I love. I mm-hmm. love planetariums. Me too. I didn't get a chance to check that out, but when I was there, they were hosting this like big international um, botanical sculpture show. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting. Uh, all these different countries had different um, botanical sculptures that they created which <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, is like a really hard thing to describe uh, but they're like I guess well, I don't know how they make them my guess would be that they like create like a big wire armature and then 
cover it with like moss and greens and flowers and Ooh. stuff. Um, so one of them, and I, I think it was Japan's entry. I don't know for sure, but it was, a, it was a large, and when I say large, I mean like larger than life by several orders of magnitude. Um, a large grand piano with a waterfall coming out of it and a turtle jumping out. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what that was supposed to signify, but it was beautiful. Sounds cool, cool, though. Yeah, it was a neat time to be there. Um, also, they have a really excellent Japanese garden with a little bonsai tree house mm-hmm. where they have bonsai trees that are like hundreds of years old. Ooh, cool. Mm-hmm. So, you have that to look forward to. I can't wait. Yeah. Kara, uh, what movie did we watch? We watched An American Tale. Yes. It's an animated film from... Oh, God. I didn't write down any of the details of it, so it, let me just pull it well, up on Well, I can tell you quick. as much as I know, which is not a lot. It's an <laughs> animated film from 1986. There you go. That's all the facts I have. <laughs> all right. Besides the fact that I also watched the movie and know what happens in the movie. Yeah. Yes, an American tale, 1986. While emigrating to the United States, a young Russian mouse gets separated from his family and must re- must relocate them while trying to survive in a new country. So um, it was my idea to watch this movie because when news broke about um, the family separations that have been happening at the border a few weeks ago, um, I just like couldn't stop thinking about this movie and how much I loved it and um, how relevant it was to, it felt very relevant to what is going on with our current um, situation. Ugh, I don't know. It's all so terrible. Well, right. And but, like, um, that just made it like that much more horrible to watch it. Yeah. Like it was very sad. It is very sad, but, but it's really, really powerful. There is, like, so I was reading, like, some reviews of it from when it first came out. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the criticism was, like, that it was too sad. Oh. Um, which, like, but I don't remember ever thinking as a kid that it was too sad. Because, like, I knew that Feifel was going to find his family. Like, because that's how kids' movies work. And right. so, like, I didn't... I just, you know, kid brains aren't really smart enough to pick up on how sad it is, no matter what the ending is. Um, but also, in my adult brain, I'm like, oh no, kids really get separated from their families, and then they really never see them again. Yeah. So that made it so much more upsetting. Like, every time he thought he found them, and then he didn't, mm-hmm. I cried so much. Yeah, and I actually, there's a sequel to this movie, An American Tale, Fievel Goes West, um, which I also watched, and which is really also quite spectacular. And it was, so in that one, um, and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more, but about like American myth making and that sort of thing. But um, he and his family are hearing these 
tales about you know how out west everyone cats and mice and dogs they all live together you know harmoniously and everybody well, which helps is essentially, each other out there's which is sorry to stop you but which yeah. is essentially the plot of this one also right they're in russia but they say there are no cats like, in america when we get to america there will be no cats at all and the streets are paved with cheese <laughs> um <laughs> And then yeah, they arrive but... and obviously find out very quickly that New York is filled with cats. <laughs> and there's no cheese there's in the no street. no cheese in the street. Um, but in Fievel Goes West, he gets separated from his parents again. How? and it's like so home alone. He can't <laughs> yeah. keep his family. But it's like multiple times we, both in this, in American Tale and in Fievel Goes West, we see his parents see him disappear Mm -hmm. like multiple times over and over and over again all kind of sim like in very similar ways where Fievel is like chasing after his hat or something and then he gets washed overboard or then he falls off the train or like whatever I don't know what he does in the second one but in the first one he's just being like a sneaky little kid and Mm -hmm. he throws his own hat because oh yeah so he's he wants to what is he they're on the ship on the way to america from russia and he wants to see the fish i think like he wants to go up on the deck but it's a really big storm but he's really how old do you think he's supposed to be in the first one oh six be more than like six yeah, yeah i think that's a so he's like he's smart but he's not that smart so there's this big ass <laughs> very storm. poor self-protective instincts <laughs> yeah and he well he's brave like and he wants yeah. to he wants to take risks you know um yeah so he throws his own hat to the deck so that he can go see the fish during the storm and then never comes back from that yeah because he gets washed overboard and then he like winds up in a bottle and just like floats in a (laughs) bottle and then some bird from the statue of liberty finds him (laughs) and um i just i the animation and and like the world building in this Mm -hmm. movie is so great because like for all of the systems that humans have going through immigration and stuff like that like there's all of these parallel mouse systems Mm -hmm. so like you see them also like going through immigration and like all of these like things just like any other person who who is immigrating to the United States at that time would have to go through these processes. So do the mouse, the mice. And it just is, feels so, I don't know, like it makes it just feel so real. And even back, the the opening of the film, and like I said to you, like the first 15 or 20, like I don't know how like the rest of it is, but the first 15 or 20 minutes is really powerful. Um, where we actually see Fievel and his family in Russia and the Cossacks come through and like the Cossacks and their cats come through and light their Jewish village on fire. And so they lose their homes and are, are forced to, to, uh, emigrate. And, um, do you know, I don't know. I just, it, yeah. It never occurred to me when I was young that they were Jewish. Like I knew that they were Jewish, Yeah, me neither. but I never like thought about it. Yeah. The first note that I made was that I forgot how Jewish this movie is like in a really wonderful way. Um, which I think is also important at this point in time where we have literal Nazis running amok. She, but, um, the mom has a great Jewish mom line in the beginning. Yeah. The uh, Fievel gets a hat. Um, yeah, this is this family heirloom. <laughs> it's like huge and adorable. It doesn't fit him. 
and his dad gives it to him and he's like thank you papa thank you papa and she looks at him and she's like you only have one parent (laughs) so jewish mom (laughs) yeah um she has a lot of really good moments in this movie like i was talking about before seeing his parents see him get taken away over and over um the after I think it's I don't know it happened like it happens so many times I can't remember like which which time it is that like Fievel is gone from the family and they just are like well he's gone now he's dead that's like we'll never see him again and like the the acceptance that like they're they're so ready to like they've been they've seen so much loss and they've been through so much loss that it's at least for his parents, kind of like a muscle that they've built mm-hmm. at this point. And at one point, his sister Tanya says that she thinks he's still alive and he's still out there. And his mother says, "After, don't worry, after a while, it will go away. Mm-hmm. And that just like broke my heart because to, to be able to say that like requires uh, – so much previous loss yeah so there this movie to me was like so different watching it now as an adult with like an understanding of what what loss is and like grief and that sort of thing um and seeing it much more kind of through his parents eyes than through like the adventurous child yeah it's like it's I mean it's like what we talked about when you watch little women mm-hmm. it's like you it's such a different time and people are just used to sickness and death and shitty stuff. I mean, yeah. not that people don't have to get used to and live with that now, but it's really different. Yeah. But I love how uh, triumphant this movie winds up being for all of the immigrant mice. And, and like, it's not just a Jewish movie. It's very much an immigrant movie. And we see some maybe some problematic stereotypes but like whatever painting with a broad brush this is an animated film um that when they're when they're on the boat and they're all singing there are no cats in america which is this wonderful musical number um there's you know there there are the mice from all of these different places are like singing and dancing together and saying like oh you think russia was bad well sicily blah 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 blah. oh you think sicily was bad well in ireland blah 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 blah. um and so it just uh i don't know it just felt like really i don't know it's, it's like really hard to articulate which i think um is what makes this movie so special i was mad during that song because all the stories were dudes telling stories fair point yeah which like this i mean that shows up in this movie as much as it does in anything else that we've Mm -hmm. talked about i think because like so you have the mom and the sister but they're very very secondary to fifle and the dad even like yeah the the like father-son relationship in this is so 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 strong and they really spend time building it and they mm-hmm. don't do the same for the female characters. Yeah. Um, and then, That's true. So there's two, there's two like kind of prominent female mice characters in this movie whose names I don't remember. Do you remember their names, Kara? The like, the uh, like activist mouse and the rich <laughs> mouse. <laughs> no, let's see. Okay. So Tanya Mouskovitz is his sister. Is his sister, yeah. And they do let her have like half a song, which is cool. Yeah. 
And actually, in Fievel Goes West, she gets to have her own storyline where she's trace- chasing her own dream, oh, cool. which is cool. Yeah. Um, Gussie Mouseheimer. I think that's... Is is that the... Where we stay? I, yeah. I think that's okay. the rich lady. So that's Madeline Kahn does that voice. Um, I don't know. Hold on, I'll look too. Wait. So, uh, Bridget? Mm, sure. <laughs> I think I mostly thought that was his sister. Like, right? Because there's um, his friend. Tony. Tony. Is that what his name is? Yeah, his name is Tony. Tony Tapone. Oh, that's his name. Okay, so Tony, that's, he, like, falls in love with The mouse with that, that he's in love right? with, yeah. Right, okay, yeah. So Bridget? Her Bridget. name's Bridget? Apparently, you know. maybe we never even learned her name. Like that's ever, a very, yeah. that's a very reasonable possibility that they just she <laughs> doesn't even have a name. Um, but she's super. I don't cool. know. I think, yeah, she is cool. But I mean, yeah, that's do? those are the only <laughs> female characters. Yeah, and even even Bridget is used as like a stand-in mother for Fifel. Right. Just mother and object of infatuation by Tony. Mostly, I mean, they she she has her own thing too, but yeah. But um, the mice are kind of duped by uh, a man who is ostensibly a rat, Warren T. Rat, uh, who turns out to be a cat who's tricking them. I don't remember what he's tricking them into in this movie. I it was I did kind of a bad job of paying attention to the middle of this movie. But Yeah, the middle's not great. <laughs> but, and like that's where I that don't part happened. So like yeah. I don't know, I couldn't tell you either. Why well, in Fievel Goes West, it's a pretty similar storyline and um in that one the cats are like, we're, we're totally cool with you guys. Like, it's fine. We're all living together. And then he, like, tricks the mice into building their own giant mousetrap. <laughs> so so it's some sort of situation like that in this movie. Um, but Warren T. Rat is the worst. Um, also, anyone named Warren, big red flag. Oh, um, yeah? I only, yeah? I only know one. Warren, I dated and I, one, oh. and he is definitely a very bad person. Oh, okay. So, just next time you meet uh, somebody named Warren who's masquerading as a rat, he might actually be a cat. Just keep that in mind. Um, can I go back to the beginning for just a second? Sure. You know how if you there's like that like the, the YouTube video that went around for a little while, and it was just like all the Disney princesses dancing the exact same way. Have you ever seen that? Where basically they just, like, steal from one movie to another. Yeah. Um, Well, I I have not seen that, but I know exactly what you mean. To me, and I don't think they actually did this because this wasn't a Disney movie, um, Mm -hmm. but the beginning part where Feifel is... So he tries to do a brave thing when they're attacked in the beginning, too. He's like, I'll save us! And he runs out, like, into the snow and the fire, mm-hmm. and he's, like, being all brave. Um, right, and that's the first time that we see him... We see his parents see him, like, mm-hmm. possibly go... Like, die or go away forever. 
Um, so the cats are chasing him, and it looks mm-hmm. exactly like when Ariel is getting chased by the shark in The Little Mermaid. Oh, really? Exactly like it. Like, Interesting. W- like when, because um, there's that part in The Little Mermaid where she swims through the tiny thing, and then the shark mm-hmm. follows her, and he gets stuck. That's exactly how Fivel gets away in this. Interesting. He goes through a tiny thing, and the cat gets stuck. Yeah. Uh, well, so this came out in 86, and The Little Mermaid was 89, so I wonder if the... Uh, <gasps> the Little Mermaid stole from this. Or not stole from, <laughs> but was influenced by. No, I mean, um, also, it's like a pretty... You got a, a big thing chasing a small thing. I think it's pretty right. easy to put that together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, kind of easy to draw from that. Um, in Fievel Goes West, actually, the action sequences in that movie are spectacular like it's everything that's like great about this movie but like with I don't I didn't look at the budgets or anything but probably like twice the budget and um you know obviously it was made later so the technology was better and stuff so I think technically um Fievel Goes West especially in the action sequences is better but they're both really wonderful um so you mentioned this is not a Disney movie Mm -hmm. this uh, is one of Don Bluth's movies who is was I don't know if he's still alive or not uh, an animator director producer writer production designer etc um, and he's he, still alive cool good for him he's 80 um, you said that one of the reviews of this movie when it came out was that it was too sad but Don Bluth is responsible for The Secret of Nim an American tale the land before time and all dogs go to heaven so like every like, single sad movie yeah so all of the movies that like uh were actually all of these were really important to me as a child well we've talked like ugh, the, okay this is just making me think about like kids movies and like we've talked about this before obviously on this podcast but it's like mm-hmm. in movies that are centered around kids you have to find a way to get rid of the adults right and like usually it seems to be by killing killing them. their parents <laughs> <laughs> yeah which inherently is very sad yeah also um and we've definitely also talked about this uh the death of mothers in particular Mm -hmm. uh is really common and there's been some like really great writing about that and um kind of the cultural significance and historical reasons for that um i can't remember uh by whom uh but there's a lot of it out there so you start googling probably find it um you all know how the internet works right you know how the internet works yeah yeah but it's interesting to think about um how and this like i was saying before about re maybe reimagining the scope of the podcast um that you know what we what we see and are exposed to as kids or adolescents is like goes into to shaping our worldview and how we conceive of how the world works and so i think maybe approaching things like through that lens instead of just like oh let's just like go back and see if something's still good mm-hmm. might be a way to i mean we definitely usually know, end up of... doing that anyway Right. Like, how 
fucked do you think it made us that every everything we watched basically had the same storyline which is like bad thing happens person works hard person succeeds like essentially that's the plot of everything right mm-hmm. like how yeah. fucked do you think that made us um i don't know probably to, <laughs> to some extent i yeah because then you're you're left with the uh under you you think that as long as you try hard mm-hmm. and like we were explicitly told this as children or at least our generation was that like you can do anything you put your mind to right and like that's not true <laughs> right it's very not true you cannot do anything uh there are some and i mean the economy was also that. really good when we were growing up so like well, I mean, it was kind of better than it is now. At times. <laughs> At times. A lot yeah. better than it is now. Like, I remember when I graduated college in 2008. Oh, well, yeah, like, the financial crisis happened. Literally <laughs> just watching jobs disappear. So that, like, that's yeah. part of what I mean is, like, the stories we were being told were based on the assumption that the economy would remain good. <laughs> Or not just good, but the same. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, yeah. I think that might be a, a more accurate way to frame it. Because it's, I mean, it depends on, I guess, who you ask. It's not that the economy is bad now, per se. It's just radically different. And don't worry, it will get very bad very soon. Great news. Um, <laughs> good news. Uh, but, like, I always had a really hard time imagining a future for myself Mm -hmm. like especially in high school and stuff I just was like I don't know I don't know what I would want to be when I grow up like you know and it's because the things that I was going to be when I grew up like didn't exist at that time you know um so wait what about them didn't exist um I mean I work in marketing Mm -hmm. and do a lot of like social media stuff oh yeah that that literally didn't exist it literally did not (laughs) exist um you know at a certain point in our childhood the internet did not exist Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, that's true you know i also work for a subscription-based cut flower service that did not exist Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know so like all of these things podcasts did not exist for Um, all the money we make from our podcast rolling in it very (laughs) lucrative business um so the economy just is completely different and and not just the economy but just how we exist in the world is different because of the internet and because of the digital tools at our disposal um so so the assumptions that things will always be the same yeah, just, but, you know, we were, I mean, we were raised by people who were kind of thinking that way. Like, right. Like, my mom owned a house by herself by the time she was my age. Just, like, <laughs> had her own house, like, had a That's job. Hilarious. You know, had a regular job. <laughs> like, Yeah. Uh, which seems very easy compared to how it is now. Yeah. Um, you know, and those are the people who raised us. Right. And the assumption that, like... And who were making our media at the time-ish. Yes. I mean... Yeah. No, that's true. And, that, like, before them, it was... Because your mom's a baby boomer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So before them, it was the 
so-called greatest generation and so there was just this assumption that like every generation would do better than the one that came before them and like we're just on an upward trajectory forever forever Um, which if you pay any attention to history you know that that is (laughs) not true uh not gonna happen so yeah no i i mean i think it's it's all you know and that and then add to that uh, the gender dynamics mm-hmm. in the economy mm-hmm. and that at that time you know women were breaking into the workplace and whatever um, and they imagined that by the time we were adults like sexism would be over and dead and I was kind of raised to believe that that was the case so it was very uh, well, surprising to, to find myself that's like the message that we received as girls yeah. for sure but if you look like we see it over and over again with like the stuff that we were watching back then like mm-hmm. that message doesn't really exist in media unless it's like no. you know a very special episode <laughs> you know like <laughs> unless somebody's like taking the time to on purpose like shine a light on it it yeah it feels like very much like it didn't actually exist it was just like yeah. people saying it to us I guess but then it's not like we got to live that right or it's not like we get to live it now I mean we're doing better yeah we're doing yeah. better yeah. but yeah Kind of, sometimes, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> what? Um, I no, I just, I just started thinking about nine to five. We should do that. I've for never an seen of the it. podcast. Oh my god, it's so good! It's I, so special and wonderful. It. Uh, it is a true treasure. I mean, all star cast. I know. You know, just so good. Yeah. Anyway, I do want to. I do want to watch it. Great. Um, but it's like, you know, you had to make nine to five to highlight mm-hmm. the working woman. You know, you don't just right. like watch a regular and movie and there girl. are working women yeah. in it, like along with the men and along with the everyone else. Like, right. Um, but we were talking, I briefly mentioned before, before, like American myths and American myth making. Um, and I think that. You know, we grew up with the myth that, like, sisters are doing it for themselves and, you know, they're entering the workplace and breaking the glass ceiling and, you know, all of these things that were not necessarily, uh, the reality did not necessarily match the messaging. Um, And we see that in this movie when they're in Russia and they hear that there are no cats in America and the streets are paved with cheese and all of these different mice from different places have heard some version of the like everything's great in America and you don't have any problems and it made me like really angry um that like for generations we pump out this propaganda that like America's the greatest and we have no problems and if you come here you can make it and lift yourself up by your bootstraps and and then people will try and come here and we're like, fuck you, get out of here. Or fuck you, we're putting you in a cage. Like, that just made me really mad. Yeah, that's not cool. No. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it made watching this, like, extra upsetting right now. But also, like, ugh, so there is one line in this. I think, who? I don't remember who said it. I should have written it down. I think maybe it was the bird. Um, like, when Fifel first arrives 
um, mm-hmm. because he's all sad and he's like, you know, I'm not going to find my family, like whatever. And the bird says, this is America, the place to find hope. And wait, what does he say? This is, I, this is America, the place to find hope. Oh. And like, no matter how like inaccurate that is in practice, I don't think that that's untrue. Like, I think we all still, all the good, all the good people still believe that and still, like, that's yeah. still what we want our America to be. Well, yeah, I mean, Barack Obama got elected on <laughs> on that premise, right? Yeah. You know, so, his like, whole campaign was hope. But also, I think that there's a long tradition in the United States and, and even, like, pre- America, like during colonial times that this, the entire American mission and founding principle kind of is hope. Is is this hope that like, all right, so like we've definitely fucked this up like a bunch of times, (laughs) but we're going to get it right this time, you guys. (laughs) You know what I mean? And like, like, and again, that doesn't necessarily fold in the realities of like, oh, I don't know, genocide of uh, American Indians or slavery or you know all of the other like really horrendous things that the United States has done mm-hmm. kind of like on the path to hope I mean that's what aside from um, natural resources and stuff that's kind of what fueled the the westward expansion mm-hmm. and like um you know, coming here to uh, coming here to start over, and all of these things that uh, are so deeply ingrained in the so-called American dream that um, no matter it kind of feels like no matter how many times uh, the universe kind of like shoves our face in shit, like there's still hope that like we can get it, we can do it better next time, you know. Yeah, and then we kind of fuck it up again, and then we try again. Yeah. Which part are we in Maybe. now? <laughs> uh, definitely the fucking up part. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yes, definitely the fucking up part, but I think also there's this... because This is, like, the flip side of it is the, is the constant looking back and saying, like, oh, but things were better when... You know what I mean? Like, there's this, like, weird kind of two-sided, like, oh, we'll do it better next time, but also things were better back then, Um, which is obviously a fallacy for everyone but white men. Right. Um, So, I don't know. It's a a dark time. I mean, but also, you know, as a student of history, it's like, it's always been a dark time. Yeah. Um, And this country has, like, a really... Because we're, like, so unwilling to confront the darkness of our past and present, um, we're, like, doomed to repeat it over and over again, which is deeply upsetting for anyone interested in actual progress. Yes. And to, like, I actually find this, like, too upsetting to think about most of the time. Yeah. Because, like, what am I supposed to do, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's really overwhelming, especially because there's just so much. (laughs) Like, like it's, oh, God, if it wasn't 
so terrifying and so horrendous like right now for so many people it would be kind of like comically like it's we have literal evil billionaires running the country literal you know and it's just it's absurd how much is so bad and and like this is just the stuff that we're hearing about you know what I mean like that's what I keep thinking about like I keep thinking about like in in 50 years what does this look like you know mm-hmm. like what are well it's not gonna look good it's not it's <laughs> gonna look that much. real bad even if we come out of it on the plus side which like who knows we might not yeah um it doesn't feel like we will at this point um but yeah like what what are we gonna find out Right. And how much worse is it going to seem? Yeah. And what won't we find out because they're not keeping records and because local journalism, like the people who would be investigating this kind of stuff, like those systems have collapsed and, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's really upsetting and awful and, um, it really bums me out. But like, (laughs) you know, I, if, like, as someone who's who's deeply engaged in issues of healthcare and disability rights, bodily autonomy, like everything in that and related to that with regard to this administration is bad fucking news bears. Like, it's not okay. Like, by any stretch of the imagination, every day it gets worse and um and and that's just like one tiny sliver of what's going on you know like if you like zoom out a little bit it's like oh my god immigration issues oh my god domestic policy and like trade policy and like all of these things that are just not great <laughs> i not good at all i also just keep hoping though that like maybe maybe this just wakes the rest of us up you know Honestly, if people aren't awake yet, it's it's not going to happen. Like it's not. Uh, it I. I like can't do anything but make noises and like not words. Well, but like here's what I mean. Like, like par- like part of the reason I feel like what am I supposed to do is because like one of the things you can do is vote for different people to represent you in our government. I'm from a blue mm-hmm. ass state. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like I sure I'll vote, but like I'm a, from a very liberal state that has like almost no government representation because nobody lives in my state. You know, <laughs> very few <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, well, so there are things that you can do. First of all, of course, you can always throw money if you have it at organizations who are working to um, support people in this time. Um, obviously, the um, ACLU needs their help. The Southern Poverty Law Center needs our help. Uh, National Abortion Funds needs our help. Um, but there's also there's this sister district project, uh, which harnesses the energy of volunteers and deeply blue places to channel it to where it can make a real impact so um i don't know how it works exactly but like uh oh here we go how it works we connect you (laughs) (laughs) with your home team led by volunteer uh, district captains 
Um, so they handpick a number of sister races in other states that are winnable, strategic, and have a great candidate and assign you, uh, assign your team to two of those races. And so then you work with your local team to fundraise, phone bank, postcard, text bank, and if you can travel to the sister race community to knock on doors and get out the vote. So there are things that we can do and it's important that we do do those things also contacting your elected representatives like yes even if they are already on uh your side or whatever you can still contact them reiterate uh your support or not support whatever the opposite of support is that i can't think of a word for right now um and also like to thank them for uh, continuing to oppose fascism and like all of this horrendous shit that's going on um, you know because it's it's just it's important that we don't stay silent because um, you know it like your silence is complicity so I don't know it is really overwhelming though and I find myself at least once a day <laughs> wanting to dig a hole climb inside of it and then cover myself with dirt again because I just like find it all so overwhelming yeah terrible. I honestly this can't is a fun episode, I don't huh? even think about it anymore can we leave the political part of the podcast I don't even have anything else to add <sighs> yeah that's okay we can do that like I'm just not like I've become so disconnected from it because it's so upsetting mm-hmm that like I'm not even well enough informed anymore to like talk yeah talk smart about it and we're recording this so yeah no that is fair um but at the same time I would encourage you not to disconnect entirely because that's how these motherfuckers win so I'll leave you with that I guess the animation in this movie <laughs> is gorgeous do you know what i like that they did it's, like a few times in this the way they um what? they show like um sunshine sparkle that's the best way i know how to describe mm, it do you yes, know what i, I mean? love sunshine sparkle yes it's my favorite thing in the world it's so pretty in this yeah i was floating on a lake the other day and we had a similar moment where we were talking about what was going on in the world and we were like wait a minute this is neither the time nor place <laughs> look how beautiful this is (laughs) you know so um i mean that's how i've been coping kind of with this time is to go out into the world and reacquaint myself with beauty and wonder and feel feeling a sense of awe i think is regenerative i agree with um, that and that is also what i try to do like i just try to wake up and like look around me and feel really lucky and feel really grateful and like not take that for granted and you know Mm -hmm. and sunshine sparkle does make me happy Mm. both in this movie and in real life (laughs) yeah um wait i have a question about five goes west yes is it better than this movie I think they're both really wonderful. Because, like, Um, everybody who I said, like, you know, I have friends now, and they'll be like, oh, what are you doing on the podcast this week? And and I said an American tale, and at least three people were like, Fifle Goes West. And I was like, no, not that one. Yeah. Uh, Joey said the same exact thing. (laughs) I was recording with them for Watch the Throne. Uh, Hear hear me on an all-new episode tomorrow. 
Um, I forget if he said he never saw them or not, so find out on that all-new episode of Watch Luther Uh <laughs> But yeah, I think... I, but part of that also, I think, is um, just when they came out and, like, how old people are, you know, and, like, whether or not... Um, you know, whether... Like, because it's probably, for people our age, far more likely that people saw Five Goes West than... An American Tale, necessarily. What year was Five Goes West? Um, I'm waiting for the page to load, <laughs> and I will let you know when my internet gets there. There were also, <laughs> like, a bunch of other Fifel movies, right? Um, yeah, but, like, not... not okay, so Five Goes West was 91, and this was 86, so... Yeah, there was uh, The Treasure of Manhattan Island in 1998, The Mystery of the Night Monster in 1999... Fivel's American Tales, nineteen ninety-two. I don't know what that is. Maybe a TV show. Who knows? Um, but I think you know, an uh, American Tale and Fivel Goes West are like the canon. Yeah. Like officially. Um, I was. Have you seen that Spielberg documentary on HBO? No. Okay, it's excellent. I just watched it the other night. Very, What's a, very what, interesting. What part of him? Oh, you know what? I heard somebody talking about it, and they were like, "Yeah, it was great, and it included a lot of things." And they really glazed over Hook. Oh my God! They didn't mention it once. <laughs> they literally didn't mention Hook once. At the very end, like during like the the ending narration, they showed like a five second clip and just said. Some you know, like in the course of saying like some things worked out and some things didn't and like some things didn't. A five second clip of Hook and that was it. Didn't mention it once. I found that hilarious. Was it just like a um, documentary about his work or what? His work and his life, okay. yeah. Uh which is really uh I like didn't know a lot of this stuff. Like I didn't know he grew up Orthodox. Um and then uh his second wife, I guess, converted to Judaism when they got married and uh, that like reacquainted him with his relationship to Judaism. And that was when he made uh, Schindler's List and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was when he started wearing baseball hats all the time. Because that was my question. <laughs> that was the question <laughs> I went into the documentary with. Because like at the very beginning, you're seeing all these pictures of him like as like a young filmmaker and I'm like hmm I wonder when he started wearing baseball hats because my (laughs) image of Steven Spielberg is like goatee baseball hat glasses you know and he looked like totally different when he was younger so I (laughs) was curious about that um but his grandfather's name was Fievel and he executive produced the second one at least I don't know about the first one no I think he was involved in the first one too and then like after the success of them like he had something to do with starting some kind of animation company right yeah he started DreamWorks but that's not what it was called then okay I don't know (laughs) so I like really really just quickly scanned the Wikipedia article yeah I'm filled with facts about this okay yeah so it was uh an American tale was produced by Amblin um oh right okay so yeah that kind of and that kind of became DreamWorks in the like mid 90s 
Uh, maybe. That's what Wikipedia says. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, okay. Am- oh. Emblemation so is the animation really... production arm of Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment. The studio was shut down in 1997, and some of the in- Emblemation staff, that's a hard word, went on to oh. join DreamWorks Animation. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I guess he, he was a lot more involved in the second Fievel movie. Um... Okay, so originally the concept consisted of an all-animal world like Disney's Robin Hood, but Bluth suggested featuring an animal world existing as a hidden society from the human world like Disney's The Rescuers. After viewing The Rescuers, Spielberg agreed. Emmy Award-winning writers Judy Freudberg and Tony Geis were brought in to expand the script. When the initial script was complete, it was extremely long and heavily edited before its final release. Uh, Bluth felt uncomfortable with the main character's name, thinking Fievel was too foreign sounding and he felt audiences wouldn't remember it. Spielberg disagreed. The character was named after his maternal grandfather, Philip Posner, whose Yiddish name was Fievel. The scene in which he presses up against the window to look into a classroom filled with American school mice is based on a story Spielberg remembered about his grandfather, who told him that Jews were only able to listen to lessons through open windows while sitting outside in the snow. Spielberg eventually won out, though something of a compromise was reached by having Tony refer to Feifel as Philly. Spielberg also had some material cut that he felt was too intense for children, including a scene Bluth was developing revolving around wave monsters while the family was at sea. There is a wave monster in this, though, isn't there? Because I remember I thinking that that also was like The Little Mermaid. Because it looks like I mean, Ursula. there were definitely some like intense waves. No, one of them's a monster. It has like a monster. It's not. It's very brief, but it does have like a face because I remember thinking like, like I always wonder when I watch a kids movie like, some of the things that happen like is that I'm supposed to be looking at it through the eyes of this child and so that's what it looks like to this child, which explains away Mm -hmm. a lot of weird things. Um, Yeah, and that's how I thought about the wave monster in this. I was like, oh, like yes, that's what that looks like to a six-year-old. Interesting. But maybe the wave monsters were had a longer scene that got cut. Right. Uh, this was Universal Pictures' first animated feature film since Pinocchio in Outer Space in 1965. Pinocchio in Outer Space? They made more than one Pinocchio? Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe that one yeah, didn't make it into the canon. But, um, okay, yeah, so production began in 84 as a collaboration between Spielberg, Bluth, and Universal, based on a concept by David Kirshner. And Spielberg had asked Bluth to, quote, make something pretty like you did in Nim, make it beautiful. What is Nim? I've never seen that one. Oh, The Secret of Nim. Um, Apparently it's based on a children's novel. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's really beautiful. I'm not, I can't remember. Oh, it looks scary. It is scary. Ooh. Yeah, it's scary and sad. Um, and, but it's really sweet. And uh, they make like a cute little airplane out of some leaves. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I think you have a different movie. I don't know. I have to rewatch this one now. Let me look at some pictures. I think a lot of people confuse it with like Watership Down. Which is another fucking terrifying... Oh my god, don't see that one. It's really scary. Is it a kid's movie? Yeah. Yeah. It's horrifying. (laughs) There's bunnies and rats, and it's just deeply disturbing. (laughs) Um, Oh, okay. I'm looking at... I googled it, and one of the, like, 
the like screen grab for the video is two bunnies covered in blood yeah or fighting they look like they're hugging but they're covered in blood so that was like a really traumatizing uh experience with seeing that movie as a kid but the secret of nim is really uh sweet and wonderful and i like it a lot they're very like his stuff is a lot darker uh than disney stuff but that's why i like it because it feels like there's more of a balance between the like saccharine yeah well like because disney stuff is really dark too if you think hard about it but they don't right. they kind of like glaze over that like how yeah. dark it actually is uh-huh whereas like these do that a little bit but not as much maybe yeah i think that the the darkness is out in the open in these whereas with disney it's like more of a thinker oh um tiger his cat friend mm-hmm. i love him He's so much super cool what's the song that he sings uh, uh, I don't what know. do they sing together oh the song about them being a duo we're a duo oh yeah a duo, a duo. <laughs> and another rest of the words <laughs> yeah no that's really cute played by dom deloise uh which i i am on or i was on a the last episode of monkey club uh, a since defunct podcast here on the podcast network um i forget what the movie was. i think it was called going bananas maybe i don't know that sounds like a monkey um, movie it's not well maybe is it i don't remember it wasn't very memorable but dom deloise is in it uh and they asked me to rename the movie and i called it an african tale five goes bananas <laughs> Because it's like some weird, like, uh, you know, journey through Africa. Very problematic, but it's 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 good that that is lost in history. <laughs> um, Did- but uh, Dom DeLuise is so good in this, and he's also really wonderful in Five Goes West. He's a pretty main character in that. Did we already say that this was the highest-grossing non-Disney animated film when it came out? No, it was. I'm sure it's not anymore, uh-huh. but at the time it was. So it was kind of a big deal, I guess. Yeah. Oh. Um, Bluth worked with Amblin Entertainment and the Sears Marketing Department uh, to develop the look of the film and its characters. Apparently, Sears had a major marketing push on the main character. So maybe that's why everyone remembers Fievel. The, um... Okay, so I feel like the most memorable... Tell me if I'm wrong. The most memorable mm-hmm. song from this is somewhere out there? Um, I guess so. I mean, I I think there, No Cats in America is also... Yeah, I think it's those two. But I felt really, like, upset watching it this time <sighs> because the kids yeah. in Somewhere Out There, that song is too high for both of them to sing. I know, it's but that's what I love awful. about it. It's like awful. <laughs> That's so funny. No, I loved that. Like, not only did they have a hard time reaching the notes, but I liked that they sounded like children when they were singing. You know, they, like yeah, yeah. They they didn't sound super polished no. and you know like whatever. They sounded like little kids singing a song that like wasn't necessarily written for their range. Okay, except this song was written for this movie for them to sing. I know, but like in the world of the movie, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that song, though. It's really beautiful. I cried sweet. the whole time. 
Yeah. We had a somewhere out there moment recently when I had posted a picture of a uh, sunset. You were like, I also <laughs> watched the sunset that night. And I was like, we watched the, the same, same sunset. sunset. Aww, yep. Which I just, I, I love, you know, the, the cosmos and celestial happenings for that reason. Because you can look at the sky and be like, somewhere out there is also looking at the sky right now. Same We're sky. looking at the same thing. Same sky, same cool. moon, same sun. Yeah. I have no more notes. I don't either. I was just reading the Wikipedia article Me to see too. if there's anything else of, that would be interesting. It was somewhere out there was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original right. Song. It won a Grammy. That song was nominated and won a lot more stuff than the movie actually did. Interesting. So yeah, I guess that probably is the the takeaway song. Although, for me, when I think of this movie, I think of No Cats in America. But that could... I mean, I think they also, like, chose... Well, it makes sense. They chose that as the song, though, and then, like, real artists recorded it. Like, it plays over the credits. I don't know who it is singing it. Linda Ronstadt. That's who sang it. I don't... I don't know who that is. Do I know who that is? Um, my parents had a lot of her records. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I'm sure she had some hits, although I wouldn't be able to name them. But I remember coming across a lot of her records in their collection. So I'm sure, I'm sure she's very important. Okay. I'm sorry, Linda, if you're listening. <laughs> We should know who you are. I'm just young and dumb. My brain just doesn't have enough stuff in it yet. Oh, okay. Uh, So during production, Amblin and Universal expected to view the dailies and approve all major work on the film. And various outside parties also requested changes here and there. This caused the production to buckle from excessive oversight and made Bluth feel like he was losing freedom of control over the production process. micromanagers micromanaging as the release deadline approached pressure grew throughout the crew and numerous problems arose ranging from the slower than expected cell painting in ireland so uh they did most of the animation in ireland skipped over that part uh to low footage output by some animators also the songwriters had written the score much later than originally desired suddenly scenes had to be dropped to save time and money and new shorter scenes had to be created to help pick up the story point lost in the process, sometimes making the storyline look jumbled. Notable cuts include the Maskovitz's journey across Europe. Oh, I would have liked to have seen that. Well, I a actually, scene... that's very accurate for me because they, they, so they leave Russia on this boat and then all of a sudden uh-huh. the boat's filled the with people you know, from in all America. kinds of other places. Yeah. And I was like, how did they, they just stop in everywhere and picking everyone up? Yeah. And then all of a sudden yeah. they're in America. Yeah, that's exactly how I did. I did find that kind of annoying that the people just appeared. Which makes me think of Titanic, uh, which also stopped in several ports before leaving Ireland for the United States. Uh, We didn't get to to this when we did the Titanic episode, but that is bonus boat fact. Bonus boat fact. That is also very much an immigrant story, Um, even though like the main characters are both American, I guess. Yeah, Rose is from Philadelphia, and Jack is from, like, Wisconsin or something. Um, Like, in the background are hundreds of immigration stories, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's Fabrizio and his Irish friend, or the mother reading uh, or telling a story to her children, you know, as they are about to be drowned in a cabin. 
Um, I think that gets really overlooked a lot of times in that movie and in that story in general that like even some of the guys that were in the band were actually immigrating to the United States. They were using that passage as an opportunity to, to immigrate. So yeah, uh, I don't know. I feel like so many of those stories when they're told really like skip over that like in between time, you know, whether it's in this movie or in other movies or even like hearing it from your grandparents, like, well, because <laughs> that's like, just the nature well, of... and then I bought a ticket and then I got on a boat and then the next thing you know, I had a of storytelling though. Right. And like time constraints, you know, like, yeah, movies are two hours long. TV shows are 30 minutes or an hour long, even spread out yeah. over a whole season. Like you just can't, you can't include everything. Yeah, but I'm thinking more of, or just, like, in general, like, I don't know, I guess I I would like to see that story of, like, what, maybe it's just boring, that, like, going from port to port and, like, getting delayed well, by it, all sorts it of things. Well, it would derail and... the story in a way that doesn't serve Fife yeah. anymore. That's true. But I would like to see, like, something else, maybe. Or, I don't know, maybe that part of the story is, to, is like, people skip over it because it's painful and boring, and I don't know. I, I just, I'm very, like, fascinated by how people tell stories in, ge- in general, but especially about uh, immigration mm-hmm. and, and migration, um, because you have to leave so much of it out. Yeah. And I'm always curious about, like, what gets left out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some other things that were cut out. A scene in which they first meet Tiger and he gets stuck up in a tree. An upbeat song that Fievel was planning to sing while imprisoned in the sweatshop. And a scene that gave greater explanation of the changing of names at Ellis Island. Cuts are also responsible for baby Yasha's apparent disappearance after the boat trip. Oh, yeah, they had a baby. They did have a baby, and then they kind of didn't anymore. Yeah. Huh. Didn't notice that. Like, they definitely had a baby in Russia, and then when do we see the baby again after that? On the boat? Yeah. And never again. That's kind of it, right? Had to get it out of the movie. Yeah. Yikes. (laughs) That's really funny. Is there a... Do they have a younger sibling in Five Goes West? Uh, no, it was just him and his sister. Oh, they, like, legit were just like, hmm, never mind. I mean, it's entirely possible that that baby could have, like, picked up some some illness in one of those port cities, <laughs> and then the next thing you know, no baby anymore. Uh, I mean, that's, like, that's what I mean. Like, that one, one of the things that could have happened, you know, in that time between when they get on the boat in Russia and when they land in America... You know, all, uh, like a, an entire lifetime of stories can play out. <laughs> yeah, that's a different movie, though. That is a different movie. Um, I don't think Ellis Island was processing immigrants when this movie takes place, though. I think the timeline is inaccurate. I do believe the Cara deGrasse Tyson moment, inaccurate. Um yeah, Ellis Island operated from 1892 until about 1954, although I think they stopped processing incoming immigrants, like, before 
or maybe between World War One and World War Two, uh, they there was still like stuff happening there until the fifties, but it was mostly like a hospital or quarantine and uh, a deportation site more than uh, immigration. But this movie takes place in eighteen eighty-five. Yep. See, inaccurate. But, I mean, it doesn't really matter whether it was, like, on Ellis Island or someplace else. The process was pretty similar, I think. Wow, this is a really long Wikipedia article. It made me think of my Jewish relatives that came here. Yeah, tell me about that. I know, like, nothing about it. I don't even have (laughs) anything else to say except that it made me think of them. And I know their names got changed when they came here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I don't know that much about it. But they, you know, they came and they stayed in New York. Mm-hmm. They went to Brooklyn. Yeah. Well, my grandparents came from Ireland. I, the reason I, I know this about Ellis Island is because they came after Ellis Island was being used for incoming immigrants. So I think they just went, yeah, they just went, like, directly to Jersey City and they were like, this is fine. And they just <laughs> stayed there forever. <laughs> Um, but I don't think there was no like changing of names that happened and which is kind of unfortunate because having an apostrophe in your last name is like a really big pain in the ass, (laughs) but that's okay. Oh, interesting. Um, Art Spiegelman, who is a comic artist, uh, responsible for the book Mouse. Did you ever have to read that? No. Oh, it's, um... It's intense, but it's really amazing. I actually had to wind up reading it twice in college. Um, There are two graphic novels, Mouse 1 and Mouse 2, about... um, Well, it's kind of a meta-narrative. So, like, in the book, Art goes to talk to his father, who uh, had survived concentration camps. I think he was in Auschwitz. um, And goes to talk to his father to, like, get this story from him because he never talked about it and so he drew this into a graphic novel these visits to his father and trying to get this information out of him and then um illustrates the stories within the novel and it's um it's really heavy i had nightmares (laughs) for weeks uh while i was reading them but they're really really good Uh, But apparently Art Spiegelman, who wrote and drew them, accused Spielberg of plagiarism due to the fact that the Jews in uh, An American Tale are depicted as mice in the film, just as... Oh, also, I forgot to mention this part. Uh, Spiegelman draws Jews as mice in the graphic novel, and I think the Nazis were drawn as cats, and Polish people were drawn as pigs. It's like this whole um, animal you know, metaphor, um, because apparently Jews as mice was a metaphor that he had adopted from Nazi propaganda. Uh, but instead of pursuing copyright litigation, he opted to beat its release date by convincing his publishers to, oh, I didn't know this is why there's two volumes, because uh, he had them split mouse into two volumes and published the first one before he even finished the second one so he could get to market before an American tale. Good for him. Yeah. Interesting. I did not know that. Hey, Kara, I want to know what I've been doing since you started talking about Titanic. (laughs) (laughs) 
watching that gif. Uh-huh. <laughs> nice. Because um, when the world's shitty, there's still always Leo in that cigarette. Yeah, that's very true. I uh, have been listening to Paul Shear's new podcast, Unspooled, oh, where instead of watching bad to. movies, he watches good ones. Yeah. Um, and they're like going through the AFI top 100 that's list or whatever cool that is. That. Yeah, and they did a really great episode about Titanic, and they had boat facts that I did not come across Whoa. in my own research. More boat facts? Up to... Up to and including that there were actually five Chinese people who survived the Titanic, but were sent back immediately because of the Chinese Exclusion Aww. Act. Can you imagine? Oh my God. America. Ugh. This is America. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess we should maybe talk about the end of the movie. What happens at the end? They find each other? <laughs> <laughs> they waste a secret weapon. Oh yeah, okay. The and then the they mice, find each other. The mice. Well, Feifel has the idea to build a giant. Is it a mouse or a cat? It's a mouse. Yeah, I think so. A giant mouse to fight the cats. So they do, and the giant. They stack it with fireworks. Yeah, and the giant so mouse wins, and the cats go away. Well, they're right? all chased onto a boat headed for Hong Kong. Oh, yeah, and then, the, what are they, they're saying, they said stuff that made me laugh on the boat. It was kind of the opposite of the, <laughs> there's no cats in America, they were like, in Hong Kong, there's so many mice, like, you're yeah. just gonna be eaten that made all me over laugh. the place. Yeah. But also, the, that was not all of the cats in New York. No. <laughs> it was like five <laughs> like of five them. five of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, including Warren T. Rat, who is something of, um... A caricature of like a Tammany Hall crime boss kind of guy. Yeah. Which was interesting because they, they really have that whole like Tammany Hall parallel system to the humans um, that I found really interesting. But you wouldn't really pick up on if you're not familiar with like the history of late 19th century New York. Um, but yeah, and then they get reunited, and uh, they live happily ever after until they fall for it all again in an American tale, Five Goes West. How does he get lost all... in this Five Goes West? So they all get on a train, uh, and they're headed out west, and then something happens, and he falls off the train. Oh my gosh. I don't exactly can't remember. can't take this kid anywhere. Yeah. You really can't. Uh, I don't. I honestly, I don't. It has something to do because there's a warranty rat kind of figure in that movie who has this like enforcer who's this weird spider, mm-hmm. and I don't know. They're like cl- climbing underneath the train, um, and the spider like scares him, and then he falls off. But. Um, Tiger was supposed to get on the train with them and he missed the train so he's on his own parallel journey and he and Fievel actually cross paths like multiple times on the journey not even realizing how close they are to each other at one point they're both wandering through the desert and they literally walk past each other and are like hi Mirage Tiger hi Mirage you know and they're like oh I wish that was really you and it really is them but they don't realize it um, oh, there's um, some not great 
uh, American Indian stuff mm. in that movie because it, it's it um, it's probably like the first western that I ever saw and like really set me up for a lifetime of loving and then being deeply disappointed by westerns mm-hmm. uh, and so they use a lot of the tropes and even a lot of like shot for shot kind of um, it's like a really kind of a masterpiece of a, a meta western but um, Tiger gets like captured by the Indians and like they think they're gonna cook him and then they think he's a god and it's you know it's like that kind of weird stuff um, but eventually they get reunited and then uh, because Five the reason that Five fell off the train was that he like overheard the cat plotting to build this giant mouse trap capture all the mice and then eat them all um so he has this information and he's trying to get it to the other mice and he's looking for like a sheriff who he's heard all of these like you know wild stories about how how cool and brave and tough that he is but by the time he actually makes it out west he learns that he's actually several decades late and that sheriff is like an old old dog (laughs) and so he has to like convince him to like you know get ready to fight again it's it's nice i like it a lot i don't know maybe i don't know if it's a better movie but i think it like it's kind of the same movie but done better well and it is more it seems to be more memorable to people or more people saw it right and like i said before that like technically it's a better movie just like as far as animation like some of the action sequences are kind of gimmicky but like in a really fun way and like I was it's like very easy to forgive um, the action for the sake of action because it's just really fun to watch and then Five will saves the day and everyone's like yay of course and then they're uh, reunited and I guess this time presumably they live happily ever after I don't know I didn't see no way there's like three more movies (laughs) <laughs> yeah so I don't know maybe maybe the third one is a good a good uh, suggestion for Mike's podcast Third Times a Charm <laughs> oh, it must be hard enough to watch the third in most of the series I can't imagine also watching like a third children's animated film yeah um the treasure of Manhattan Island. So that's the name of the third one. I guess they make it back to New York. They're all over the place. Yeah. Or maybe in that movie, the second one never happened. <laughs> in the historic melting pot of 19th century New York City, Fievel and Mouse and the Mouskovitz family are struggling to make their American dream come true. But when a mysterious treasure map leads Fievel and his friends to a secret world of Native American mice living beneath the city, he finds something even more precarious than jeweled and... Oh, not precarious. Even more precious than jewel, than gold and jewels. Probably friendship. They don't say. <laughs> but if I had to guess, it's that. It does sound like maybe the second one never happened in that one. Yeah. Um, Don Bluth did not direct that one. <laughs> But Dom DeLuise is in it still as Tiger. So who knows? So at the end of the movie, the the big cat that they build is they like stuff it full of fireworks, which really scares the cats. And uh, on the 4th of July, I got to see Jaws in theaters. Um, 
in a movie theater, which was super cool and wonderful because it's one of my favorite movies and I had not seen it on a big screen before and it was like seeing it for the first time, which was great. But um, after the movie was over, we went outside and were surrounded literally on all sides by fireworks shows, Mm -hmm. um, which sounds cool, but was actually really terrifying. And uh, you could have chased me onto a boat to Hong Kong (laughs) with that. It was really scary. It, was, it kind of felt like, oh, so this is what being surrounded by mortar fire is like. Uh, and yeah, it was really upsetting. I almost had a panic attack. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. America. I live in uh, the how middle. How was your Fourth I of July? I live in the middle of nowhere enough that um, we were like, let's not go to the fireworks, and so then we couldn't really hear them or see them at all. Um, That's and nice. instead, we went to the river. And brought our own sparklers and looked at the stars. Ooh, that sounds nice. It was. It was way better than fireworks. I like fireworks as long as I can't see them. Or what's even worse is that I can, like, feel the percussion inside my body. Yeah. Uh, And it makes my heart beat weird and makes me feel, like, physically ill. I don't know what that is, but it's something weird. Um... So when we, actually when we were crossing the Hudson River on our way home across the beautiful new Tappan Zee Bridge, um, there were actually, you can they do a lot of fireworks shows like up and down the river. So it was really neat because we could see probably six different fireworks displays on either side of the bridge, and I couldn't hear them or feel them, which was wonderful. <laughs> fireworks are just like one of those things that like people freak out about, and I'm just like, yeah, but why? Like, I just don't, I don't really I get it. Yeah, I mean. Like, why, I don't, why? It's, they're pretty to look at. I, I, it, um, I think the, the why we light them on 4th of July is, uh, I guess, in, like, remembrance of the Revolutionary War. You know, like, so, I, it, like, the, the line from the national anthem the rockets red glare the bombs bursting in air it like came kind of into very sharp focus when i was standing in the middle of all of those fireworks displays on all sides um and i and it was like oh this is this is what war sounds like you know what i mean um but as to why we continue to do it now that it's been so divorced from that original meaning i mean people love blowing shit up hey especially americans love blowing shit up um they're really pretty to look at but at the same time they terrify all of our pets i don't even like if you've seen fireworks once you've seen fireworks like i don't need to see them ever again (laughs) yeah i don't know i find them pretty like when i can't hear them i find them very captivating like they're really kind of amazing to look at but also like the fact that like they have their origins in the American Revolutionary War, or at least like what they they weren't invented by the Revolutionary War, obviously, <laughs> but like that's why we do what we do with them, I guess. When why um, do they light them off at, the at baseball time, games, Kara? Well, yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> but at the same time, what I was about to say is that uh, they are nightmarish for people living with PTSD. Can you imagine? Like, they we, must be terrible. They are fucking awful. And like, it's there's nothing like unexpected fireworks to remind you that PTSD is forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it, like it can come on and like you know you might think that you're like doing good and then fireworks and then it's like oh my god, 
you know, it's a nightmare. Um, and like, you know, we <laughs> don't worry. I'm going to bring the podcast way back down again, right? Right. For us to end it with, if we really, we pay all this lip service to valuing our veterans and then, you know, by, uh, while allegedly honoring their service and whatever, laid off tons of fireworks and really freak people out. I don't know. It just seems wrong. So I don't know why we're still doing fireworks. It seems just mean and terrible. So that's a good way to end the podcast, right? Yeah, totally. I did a really bad job of driving this boat. but It's okay. The boat has landed. Has it, though? Uh, yeah. I feel safe and on shore. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, safe's things... not the right word. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for all things wistful thinking, uh, you can and other Cage Club Podcast Network shows, you can find us at um, cageclub.me. Totally forgot what If the anybody URL wants was to. Write my bio for cageclub.me. I'll pay you five dollars to do it. It needs three more sentences that I apparently can't come up with myself. Cool. Oh my god, we forgot to um, turn this into a circus show. What? This is a game. Remember how I said <laughs> oh! that a new game that we could play? Since <laughs> we talked about it with the Breakfast Club. Um, is that you could turn things into a circus show? Do, do you have time for that? Oh shit, I didn't or... prepare. Okay, uh, you know what? This one's harder we'll too. This, this one's harder time. too because it's uh, really just Eiffel by himself for a lot of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so uh, that's something to look forward to in future episodes of Wistful Yeah, Thinking, I'll do better next time. Where we turn movies into circus shows. Uh, but if you want to see Jordan doing cool circus things on Instagram, you can follow her there. At PC. And you can follow me on Instagram and all the other places at BIMPS, B-I-M-P-S-E. Follow uh, Wistful Thinking at Wistful Pod. And uh, we'll talk to you next time on the podcast. Bye. Bye.